Welcome back to Breakaway Tuffel, a podcast series where I introduce ways for current and former ESL teachers to replace their teaching income. I'm your host, Bryce. I was an ESL teacher from 2010 until 2016. I quit my last teaching job in China to become self-employed and have been making a full-time income online ever since. In this episode, I'm going to go over the important mindset and behavior changes I needed to make in order to become successful with self-employment. I know it's a little tempting to jump into the strategies and tactics and all of that stuff first, but in my opinion, it's kind of a waste of time if you don't have the proper mindset first. It's taken me a really long time to grasp a lot of the ideas I'm about to share, and honestly, I'm still trying to uh, get better at a lot of them. Some of the things on this list may just seem like common sense, and then others may seem completely new to you. Either way, I encourage you to take a look at where your mindset is right now and where you're at with your current lifestyle. Because mindset and lifestyle are going to be huge contributing factors on your success when it comes to starting an online business or working a freelancing job. Okay, these are the 11 mindset and lifestyle changes I needed to make in order to become successful being self-employed after teaching ESL. Number one on the list is beginning to think positively. So as a former cynical hipster English major, I can tell you that things didn't really start to get better for me until I learned how to drop the pessimistic outlook I had on life. From college until my late 20s, I was definitely stuck in that everything is pointless, there's no point in trying hard, that whole attitude. And I was actually really proud of it. That was my identity as being somebody super negative. I was someone who really couldn't be bothered with any type of self-improvement or self-help type stuff. Those kinds of things were only for gullible people who wanted to give their money away to charlatans. Then when my life hit somewhat of a rock bottom after quitting my ESL teaching job in order to start my own tutoring company, which quickly failed dramatically. I really needed to look in the mirror and swallow my pride and realize I didn't have all the answers. I remember picking up Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey and reading it (laughs) reluctantly, but getting a lot out of it and it immediately shifted my perspectives on a lot of things. And after that, I just went down the self-improvement rabbit hole, started consuming a bunch of different content and books that in the past I thought were super corny, but they actually ended up helping me a lot. When I was in my cynical phase, I was just always expecting the worst and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. It wasn't until I tried to start reframing my thoughts to be more positive instead of negative that I started to get more positive results. Some of the things that have been super helpful for me when it comes to this are meditation and practicing gratitude and also just reducing the amount of negative inputs in my life. That could be people, content, music, whatever it is, anything that had a negative vibe to it, I just gradually tried to remove it from my life and realized that just not having that negative stuff around me made me more positive. Number two on the list is starting to take responsibility for everything. So in my freshman year at college, I remember one day this guy interrupted a conversation I was having with my friend and out of the blue, he just said, you know, you complain too much. 
<laughs> I already didn't really like this guy because uh, he was just annoying and he was always flirting with the girl that I liked. But for some reason, that comment really stuck with me. It made me think, did I complain too much? And when I actually stopped and thought about it, the answer was yes, 100%. I had a major victim mentality all the way up until I started my self-improvement journey. I used to constantly blame other people for all my problems. My family, my middle school teachers, my boss, my coworkers, the government, complete strangers. Everyone was to blame except for me. Eventually, I realized that complaining and blaming other people for all my problems in life wasn't going to actually do anything or improve my circumstances, which meant I actually had to start taking personal responsibility for my own happiness instead of relying on others for it. That was a big shift for me, and it's something I'm definitely still working on. Number three is being humble and being willing to fail. One of the most challenging things for me about leaving ESL was getting out of my comfort zone. It had become my area of expertise, and over five years of teaching, I'd become really good at it. But being good at teaching ESL wasn't going to help me in my next phase of life, where I was going to start an online business. Since quitting my last ESL job in 2016, I've tried a bunch of different ways to make money online, and some were successful, others were complete flops. I had to approach the whole idea of running an online business and being self-employed with humility because I didn't know anything going into it. That meant I had to be willing to suck at it before I could actually see some progress. That meant that I couldn't go into things with the attitude that I was already an expert or already really smart at whatever I was doing. I had to be willing to start from the very beginning and also accept help from others and take ideas from other people. As obvious as that sounds, it was actually pretty difficult for me because I had gotten accustomed to being the expert when I was teaching ESL and not really needing to approach things from a beginner's mindset. Number four is having a clear vision. When I was teaching ESL, my only real professional goals were just to keep my students and manager happy enough not to give me a hard time. That all needed to change when we started our business. I had to learn about setting goals and then reverse engineering the actions that would be required to achieve the goals. That was a completely foreign concept to me because as an ESL teacher, you just kind of show up and teach and try to do your best. There's no ladder to climb or no huge goals out in the future to think about. I remember when we first got started, I had this super clear vision of making $50 per day with our business. That number was super important to us because it represented the amount of money that we would need in order to live a decent lifestyle in a low cost of living country without needing to teach ESL. I dreamt about that number all the time. It was the first thing I thought about when I woke up and it was what I thought about when I was going to sleep. It was everything to me and that was the target. Now five or so years later after achieving that goal, I continually need to update the vision. Admittedly, that can be difficult at times because it's easy to get complacent after you've achieved your basic needs and setting goals higher and higher is a skill set in its own. But I've realized that the best way for me to grow personally is to keep setting the targets higher and higher and to be crystal clear about where I want to go. 
Number five on the list is learning higher value skills. The hard truth about being an ESL teacher is that the skills you build while teaching are not super relevant to most jobs outside of the industry, and they're not really valued by society in general. So when I decided to quit teaching and move to a different phase of my life, I needed to learn new skills that were more valued by society. Some of the skills I ended up learning and teaching myself over the last six years that have been really valuable are copywriting, SEO, which is search engine optimization, WordPress and website design, product and keyword research, graphic design using Adobe Illustrator, pay-per-click advertising, social media marketing, and others. And the crazy thing is, before I got started with all these skills, I had such limiting beliefs about what I was capable of learning. I remember being so intimidated about making a basic WordPress website and just thinking, no, I can't be a website designer. That's crazy. I, I, I'm not technical. I don't know these types of things. And I had this mental block in my head that I couldn't do it. But then when I actually tried to do it, I realized, okay, this isn't that hard. I can just watch a YouTube video tutorial and learn this stuff in a few hours. So the key here has just been to identify the skills that are valuable, but that anyone can learn. You don't need a specialized college degree to learn how to be a copywriter or learn the Adobe products. Anyone can do it if you take a $13 course online or just watch YouTube video tutorials. All it took for me to learn these skills was just to be willing to fail, be willing to suck, and doing it over and over and over again until eventually I became competent at them. Okay, number six is more of a lifestyle change, and that was quitting, partying, and drinking. During my heyday, I definitely took the ESL teaching abroad party lifestyle to the extreme. At first, it really didn't seem like a big deal, but gradually I got more and more reckless and it became more of a constant behavior. It went from being something kind of silly to actually having real negative consequences on my life. Just to give you an example of one of the low points, in my first year of teaching abroad in South Korea, after leaving a bar one night, I got into a fight, three-on-one fight with a group of Korean guys, which resulted in a trip to the ER and a broken nose and a black eye. Needless to say, I had to put that type of behavior behind me in order to get focused, and start creating the lifestyle I wanted. I know there might be people out there who say that giving up drinking and partying is becoming a boring person, and it'll cause you to miss out on a bunch of fun times. But I'd counter by saying that getting drunk all the time and doing a bunch of stupid stuff and staying out until the sun rises isn't actually that fun, having lived it. It's kind of just what you do when you have nothing better to do. I also realized that my party friends weren't actually real friends. All the people in my life who the only thing in common that we had was drinking and partying, those types of people, those types of relationships, they disappear almost immediately as soon as the drinking and partying stop. I'm not here to judge anyone's lifestyle. I get it, especially if you're young, single, and traveling the world for the first time. All I'm saying from my personal experience is that I've learned there's a ton of different activities you can do 
that are way more fulfilling and more interesting than drinking. They're also usually a lot cheaper, and the result is often more meaningful relationships, improved health, and more money. And the last thing I'll say about this is that I'm not sure about you, but I'm a million times more productive and creative sober than I am when I'm drunk or hungover. Number seven on the list is being extra frugal. If you're an ESL teacher, I'm sure you're already familiar with living on less, but even on an ESL teacher's salary, it's easy to get carried away sometimes with the spending, especially because you're in a new world and having new experiences, traveling more, eating out more, and those types of things add up. I found that one of the keys to being successful with self-employment is to continually be building the amount of runway that you have. And by runway, I mean the amount of money that we have saved in order to keep working for ourselves. The more runway we've been able to build up over the years has led to us being able to make better decisions and pursue things that we're more interested in because we don't have to make decisions under such intense pressure to like be able to feed ourselves or keep a roof over our head. We have breathing room now. But in order to do that, especially at the very beginning, we had to live even more frugally than we were when we were teachers. That meant doing things like living with family, roommates for multiple years, rarely eating out, definitely not at expensive restaurants or anything like that, only shopping for the essentials, nothing fancy, and not really taking any big vacations or trips. I will say I don't recommend our path for everyone because the path we took was way more stressful, especially in the first couple years. Quitting your job overnight without any real significant savings and then just trying to wing it and figure it out, that is pretty intense. So no, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. The typical smarter way to do it is to develop a side hustle while keeping your job and then eventually wait until the side hustle's income can get close to or replace your current teaching income. But at the same time, I do think there's a huge benefit to taking that leap of faith where you just quit and try to figure it out because it forces you to get creative and do things you may not have otherwise done. My main takeaway here is to always be cognizant of your income to expenses ratio. The higher you can get the income compared to your expenses, the more runway you can build, which eventually leads to better decisions and more opportunities. It also leads to a more comfortable lifestyle because as your income increases, you can also increase your expenses while still keeping that ratio low enough where technically you're still living frugally because your income is much higher compared to your expenses. Next on the list, number eight, is spending money on tools, services, and education. At first, this might seem to fly in the face of number seven, where I said that I was trying to be super frugal about everything. But over the years, I've learned that as long as I could afford it, it was almost always a great decision to reinvest money into my education, into tools that could grow our business, these types of things. At first, when our budget was really tight, it did make a lot more sense to do the DIY approach, where we did every task manually that we could. That helped us build our skill set and cut down on cost. But over time, we learned that it's almost always better to just spend the money if you have it 
if the money can increase productivity or further our knowledge. This is especially true for education. When I was first starting out, there was a lot of free information available online, which was more than enough to get going. But as I reached higher levels, I needed to start investing in courses and consulting and these types of things because that was the only way to get ideas that I would have never thought about on my own. It was also the only way to solve certain problems because certain problems will come up where I'm just not an expert and I can't Google search my way out of the problem. So I actually have to spend money to hire somebody who is a professional and can help me with the problem. This concept of spending money on tools and education and resources that can help us get closer to our goals, it doesn't just apply to business, but also to personal life as well. Anytime my wife and I are struggling with something in our relationship or some type of mental block, We found that it's great to spend money on courses and consulting and counseling to help us get past that. Number nine on the list is journaling. This one has definitely been one of the best investments I've made since starting my self-employed journey. You don't need anything fancy to get started with it. You don't need the $30 leather journals. To this day, I, I still just buy the 50 cent spiral notebooks you get from Walmart. Each day, I'll just write down the date and then write down some things that I'm grateful for in my life. Uh, sometimes it'll just be three things. And other times I'll set a timer for five minutes and just go and write down as many things as I can think of that I'm grateful for. After that, I almost always feel better. It kind of sets the mood for the day, the tone for the day, and it always starts things off on a positive note. After that, I'll keep the journal open on my desk. So if I have a random thought or idea, I I have somewhere to write it down and then I can come back to it if I want. If not, it was just good to get it down on paper. Another thing I really love about journaling is hanging on to old journals and then revisiting them like a year or so later and seeing what I was doing and what was going on with the business and what was important to us at the time. It's often a fun reminder to see the progress that you've made over the over the years. Number 10 is another lifestyle adjustment, doing the same thing almost every day. I personally find my life to be happier and more enjoyable when I have less decisions to make and have a clear structure for each day. One challenging thing about being self-employed is you don't have a boss anymore. There's no one to create any structure for you. You have to do it yourself. I know a lot of people dream about the freedom of doing whatever they want and becoming their own boss, but the reality is we still needed to create structure in our days in order to get stuff done so that we could continue to be self-employed and not need to work nine to fives. I've found that if our schedule lacks structure, then we'll just do things randomly, which leads to a lack of productivity and not getting a lot accomplished. So while the image of the digital nomad or the self-employed entrepreneur is someone stretched out on the beach clicking a few buttons on their laptop every now and then, the reality is typically quite different. For me, at least, most of my days look the same. They have a very similar structure and routine. I have routines for my sleep, work, meals, exercising, and even my free time. In fact, my life has become way more structured and disciplined since becoming a self-employed entrepreneur than when I ever was teaching. The cool thing about being self-employed is that I have complete freedom to drop this routine whenever I feel like it. 
If my wife and I want to take the day off and do whatever we want, it's totally possible. We don't need to request vacation time if we want to go on a trip or something like that. But I guess the irony is what happens, at least for me, is that you actually start to like the work that you do and you like begin to like the structure of your days so much so that it's actually fun and enjoyable and you don't even need the vacation time. These days when I'm on a trip, I actually find myself missing work and missing my normal schedule and routine and want to get back to it. Number 11 is sticking with one thing at a time and resisting shiny object syndrome. This one is by far the most challenging for me because I have the propensity to want to try new things all the time. When I quit my job to become self-employed, suddenly there were endless opportunities surrounding me with methods of making money online. Some of them obviously had more potential than others, and some of them were outright scams, but almost all of them had the potential to replace my ESL salary. Because there were so many options, it was really difficult to know which one to focus my time and energy on. Should I become a YouTuber, monetize an Instagram page? What about starting a blog? There were so many different possibilities, and everywhere you turn, there's some guru telling you why their method is the best. I found that the trick is to just pick one and then stick with it for a long time, at least a reasonable amount of time to see whether it works or not and whether you put in enough effort to make it work. For us, three to six months is usually enough time to gauge whether an online business model is a good fit for us and whether we've gotten enough traction for it to be worth continuing. I've had to resist the urge to overthink things too much, trying to pick the perfect business model, the one that has no problems and is optimal. But in reality, I found that there is no such thing. You just have to pick something and go with it. Because at least at the very beginning, the only requirements I really needed were that it had the potential to replace my ESL income. After that, if I just absolutely hated doing it, then I could move on and use the skills I just learned to leverage it into something else. This is much easier said than done, though, because it's super easy, or at least for me, it's super easy to get shiny object syndrome where I want to move on from one thing to the next before actually putting in enough time and effort to make something work. It's always easier to move on instead of doing what needs to be done, doing the boring work, solving the problems to make one business model work. We found that the best way to not get distracted is to just recognize that every method of making money online is going to appear great at first, but then when you actually get into it, it's going to have its own problems and set of annoying things. So it's better just to pick one and then work on it and get better and deal with the problems and do the boring work. And as you do it more and more, over time, some of the stuff that used to be annoying actually becomes fun. And the problems that used to be so big aren't huge problems anymore. And what I've personally found is that as I develop more mastery and competency within whatever I'm doing, I find that I actually have a passion for what I'm doing because I'm continuing to get better and improve and I can see all the progress that I've made, which is really encouraging. My main takeaway is that it's always been better for us to just pick one thing and focus on it and then eventually we'll get results rather than jumping from new thing to new thing all of the time. To go along with this though, 
I will say we also have developed the skill of knowing when to quit on something. Like I said before, if we're not hitting our goals or seeing enough traction after about six months, it's usually time to pull the plug. All right, that wraps up the list of mindset and lifestyle changes I made in order to quit ESL and become self-employed. I hope these things that I've learned can be helpful for you if you're jumping into self-employment now or thinking about doing so in the future. In the next episode of the series, I'm gonna be talking about freelancing and how it can be a great way to supplement or replace your teaching income. Thanks for listening and following along with the series. I really appreciate it. Can you do me a favor before you go though? If you know another ESL teacher who might benefit from listening to this podcast, if they're thinking about getting into self-employment or if they're about to leave the ESL industry and don't know what to do next, let them know that this is available and maybe it'll give them some good ideas. That's all for this episode. I'll see you next week for episode three.